Chapter 20 He prophesieth of the times that are far off. Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, The vision that he seeth is for many days to come, and he prophesieth of the times that are far off. Ezekiel 12.27 One would have thought that if the glorious Lord condescended to send his servants to speak to people about the way of salvation, all mankind would delight to hear the message. We should naturally conclude that the people would immediately run together in eager crowds to catch every word, and would be obedient at once to the heavenly command. But sadly, this has not been the case. Man's opposition to God is too deep and too stubborn for that. The prophets of old were compelled to cry, Who hath believed our report? Isaiah 53 1. The servants of God in later times found themselves face to face with a stiff necked generation who resisted the Holy Spirit as their fathers did. People display great ingenuity in making excuses for rejecting the message of God's love. They display marvelous skill, not in seeking salvation, but in coming up with reasons for refusing it. They are skillful in avoiding grace and in securing their own ruin. They hold up first this shield and then the other to ward off the gracious arrows of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which are only meant to slay the deadly sins that lurk in their hearts. The evil argument that is mentioned in the text has been used from Ezekiel's day right down to the present moment, and it has served Satan's cause in ten thousand cases. By its means, people have delayed themselves into hell. The sons of men, when they hear of the great atonement made upon the cross by the Lord Jesus, and are urged to lay hold upon eternal life in Him, still say concerning the gospel, The vision that he seeth is for many days to come, and he prophesieth of the times that are far off. That's to say, they pretend that the matters whereof we speak are not of immediate importance, but may safely be postponed. They imagine that the Christian religion is for the weakness of the dying and the infirmity of the elderly, but not for healthy men and women. They meet our urgent invitation, All things are now ready, come now to the supper, Luke 14.17, with the reply, Religion is meant to prepare us for eternity, but we are far away from it as yet. We are still in the prime of our life. There's plenty of time for those dreary preparations for death. Your religion smells of the grave and the worm. Let's be merry while we may. There will be room for more serious considerations after we've enjoyed life a little, or have become established in business, or can retire to live upon our savings. Religion is for the dry and yellow leaf of the year's fall, when life is fading, but not for the opening hours of spring, when the birds are mating and the primroses are smiling upon the returning sun. You prophesy of things that are for many days to come and of the times that are far off. Very few young people may have said as much as this, but that's the secret thought of many, and with this they resist the admonition of the Holy Spirit, who says, Today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Hebrews 3.15 They put off the day of conversion as if it were a day of tempest and terror, and not as it really is, a day most calm and most bright the marriage of the soul with heaven. Let every unconverted person remember 
that God knows what his excuse is for turning a deaf ear to the voice of a dying Saviour's love. You may not have spoken it to yourself so as to put it into words. You might not even dare to do so, lest your conscience would be too much startled. But God knows it all. He sees the emptiness, the folly, and the wickedness of your excuses. He's not deceived by your vain words, but makes short work with your apologies for delay. Remember the parables of our Lord, and notice that when the man of one talent professed to think of his master as a hard man, he took him at his word and condemned him out of his own mouth. Matthew 25:24-26. In the case of the invited guests who pleaded their farms and their merchandise as excuses, no weight was attached to what they said, but the sentence went forth, "None of those men that were bidden shall taste of my supper." Luke 14:24. God knows the frivolity of your plea for delay. He knows that you yourself are doubtful about it, and that you dare not hold to it so as to give it anything like a solemn consideration. You try very hard to deceive yourself into an easy state of conscience concerning it, but in your inmost soul you are ashamed of your own falsehoods. Suppose that you are spared for seventy years. Young man, suppose that God spares you in your sins until the snows of many winters whiten your head. Young woman, suppose that your now youthful countenance will still escape the grave until wrinkles are upon your brow. Yet still how short your life will be! You might think of seventy years as a long period of time, but those who are seventy, in looking back, will tell you that their age is a hand-breadth. I feel that every year flies more swiftly than the last, and months and weeks are compressed into twinklings of the eye. The older one grows, the shorter one's life appears. I don't wonder that Jacob said, Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. Genesis 47, 9. For he spoke as an extremely old man. Man is short-lived compared with his surroundings. He comes into the world and goes out of it as a meteor flashes through the distant skies that have remained the same for ages. Listen to the brook that murmurs as it flows and the meditative ear will hear it warble, Men may come and men may go, but I go on forever. Footnote. This is from The Brook, a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson, 1809-1892. Look at that venerable oak that has battled with the winds for five hundred years, and what an infant one seems when reclining beneath its shade. Stand by some giant rock that has confronted the tempests of the ages, and you feel like the insect of an hour. There are people of seventy years of age who look back to the days of their boyhood as if they were but yesterday. Ask them, and they will tell you that their life seems to have been little more than a wink of the eye. It has gone like a dream, or a lightning's flash. What is life? Tis but a vapour. Soon it vanishes away. Footnote. These are the first lines of a hymn written by Thomas Kelly, 1769-1855. Therefore do not say, These things are for a far-off time, for even if we could guarantee to you the whole length of human existence, it is only a brief time. But there comes upon the heels of this a reflection never to be forgotten, 
that not one among us can promise with anything like certainty that he will ever live to be seventy. We may survive, and by reason of strength we may creep up to eighty years old. Psalm ninety ten. Yet not one of us can be sure that we will do so. Most of us will certainly be gone long before that age. Even more, we cannot promise that we will see half that length of time. Young men and women cannot be certain that they will reach middle age. You cannot be certain that you will see this year out and hear the bells ring in a new year. Yes, as close upon you as tomorrow is, boast not yourselves of it, for it may never come. Or, if it does come, you do not know what it may hold for you. Proverbs 27, 1. Perhaps a coffin or a burial garment. Yes, and this very night, when you close your eyes and rest your head upon your pillow, do not think for certain that you will ever again see that familiar room or go forth from it to the pursuits of life. It's clear, then, that the things that make for your peace are not matters for a far-off time. The frailty of life makes them necessities of this very hour. You are not far from your grave. You are nearer to it than when this chapter began. Some of you are much nearer than you think. To some people, this reflection comes with remarkable emphasis, for your occupation has enough danger about it every day to furnish death with a hundred roads to bring you to his prison house in the sepulchre. Can you look through a newspaper without meeting with the words fatal accident or sudden death? Traveling has many dangers, and even to cross the street is perilous. Many people die at home. Others die when engaged in their lawful callings. How true this is of those who go down to the sea in ships or descend into the earth in mines. Truly, no occupation is secure from death. A needle can kill as well as a sword. A scald, a burn, or a fall may end our lives quite as readily as a disease or a battle. Does your business lead you to climb a ladder? It's not a very dangerous matter, but have you never heard of anyone who missed his footing and fell never to rise again? You work amid the materials of a rising building. Have you never heard of stones that have fallen and have crushed the workers? Dangers stand thick through all the ground to push us to the tomb, and fierce diseases wait around to hurry mortals home. Footnote This is a stanza from a hymn by Isaac Watts, 1674-1748, that begins with, Thee we adore, eternal name. Despite all that can be done by sanitary laws, fevers are not unknown, and deadly strokes that cause men to fall to the ground in an instant as a butcher slays an ox are not uncommon. Death has already removed many of your former companions. You have ridden into the battle of life, like the soldiers in the charge at Balaclava, and as young as you are in this warfare, you have seen saddles emptied right and left around you. You survive, but death has grazed you. The arrow of destruction has gone whizzing by your ear to find another mark. Have you never wondered that it spared you? There are people of delicate constitutions. It grieves me to see so many fair daughters of our land with the mark of consumption upon their cheeks. I know very well that pale flame upon the countenance and that strange luster of the eye signs of exhausting fires feeding upon life and consuming it too soon. From the condition of your bodily frames, 
Many of you young men and women can only struggle on until middle life, and barely that, for you cannot survive beyond thirty or forty years of age. I fear that some of you have, even in walking, sometimes felt a suspicious weariness that foretells exhaustion and decline. When we talk to you about preparing to die, how can you say that we are talking about things that are far off? Don't be so foolish. I implore you to let these warnings lead you to decision. Far be it from me to cause you needless alarm, but is it needless? I am sure I love you too well to distress you without cause, but is there not cause enough? Come now, I urge you most affectionately to answer me and tell me. Does not your own reason tell you that concern for you is not misplaced? Should you not at once take to heart your Redeemer's call and obey your Saviour's appeal? The time is short. Catch the moments as they fly and hurry to be blessed. Remember also that even if you knew that you would escape from accident and fever and a sudden death, yet there is one great event that we too often forget that may put an end to your day of mercy suddenly. Have you never heard that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was crucified on Calvary, died on the cross, and was laid in the tomb? Don't you know that he rose again on the third day, and that after he had spent a little while with his disciples, he took them to the top of the Mount of Olives, and there before their eyes ascended into heaven with a cloud hiding him from their view? Have you forgotten the words of the angels, who said, This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Acts 1 11. Jesus will certainly come a second time to judge the world. Of that day and of that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven. Matthew 24 36. He will come as a thief in the night to an ungodly world. 1 Thessalonians 5 2. They will be eating and drinking, and marrying and giving in marriage, just as they were when Noah entered into the ark, and they didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. Matthew 24, 37-39. In a moment, we cannot tell when, perhaps it may be before the next words escape my lips, a sound far louder than any mortal voice will be heard above the clamors of worldly traffic and above the roaring of the sea. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. That sound, as of a trumpet, will proclaim the day of the Son of Man. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him, will sound throughout the church. Matthew 25, 6. This clear call will ring out to all the world. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Revelation 1, 7. Jesus may come tonight. If he were to do so, would you then tell me that I am talking of far-off things? Did not Jesus say, Behold, I come quickly? Revelation 22:12. His tarrying may be long to us, but to God it will be brief. We are to stand hourly watching and daily waiting for the coming of the Lord from heaven. Oh, please do not say that the Lord delays his coming, for that was the language of the wicked servant who was cut in pieces, Luke 12, 46, and it is the mark of the mockers of the last days that they say, Where is the promise of his coming? 
2 Peter 3, 4. Don't be mockers, lest your chains are made strong, but listen to the undoubted voice of prophecy and of the word of God, Behold, I come quickly. As Jesus Himself said, Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Matthew 24, 44. Now then, it is clear enough that even if the gospel message concerned only our life in another world, it is still unwise for people to say, The vision that he seeth is for many days to come, and he prophesieth of the times that are far off. Ezekiel 12, 27.